man, we had an amazing opportunity. We, uh, we had the funeral here for uh, Senator uh, Carlos Cisneros, who passed away uh, a, a few weeks ago, I think September the 17th. He and his wife, Patsy, uh, attend church here. And, uh, but yesterday, uh, our, the governor of the state of New Mexico was here. Um, uh, Congressman uh, Lujan was here. Uh, so, I mean, it was just a lot of representatives and the Word of God. I'm telling you, the Word of God went forth. And so I just want to begin, you know, this morning. Amen. Yeah. But I, I want to I begin this morning. You know, the, the Bible tells us that to pray for our leaders. And, um, I'm, and, and you know, it doesn't, re, it doesn't uh, require you to like them or not like them. That's what it says. You pray, we pray for Democrats. We pray for Republicans. But the Scripture says that the heart of the king is like rivers of water in the hand of the Lord, and he can turn it. He can turn the heart of the king wherever he wants, okay? And so I want to pray for our, uh, our country. You know our country is deeply divided right now, and we need healing in our nation. And the Scripture says that if my people that are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then I would hear from heaven and I would forgive their sins and I would heal their land. And so I'd like for us to just do that this morning. Let's just take a moment and uh, pray. Let's uh, just take a moment, just quietly, just confess our own sins to the Lord. And we want to come to Him like little lambs without spot or blemish. So Lord, we ask that You would wash us in the blood of Your Son, Jesus. Forgive us our sins and our iniquities and our trespasses. And Lord, we do, we lift up our city government, our county and state government, our national government. We pray for all of our leaders this morning. Lord, we pray that salvation would come to each one. And God, we pray that each one would be like that river of water in the hands of the Lord, that you would turn their hearts toward righteousness and obedience and faithfulness, Lord God, to you. God, we pray for salvation for everyone from our local government all the way up to our president and our Congress and our House of Representatives, Lord God, and our Senate. God, we just pray for every one of them, God, that salvation would come to this nation. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. All right, so, um, and I you know, was listening to a, a teaching a couple of weeks ago, and it just really got a hold of me, and I couldn't quite shake it from Kyle Eidelman. But I, and I'd like to share some of the, you know, some of those thoughts with you uh, this morning. Um, this is about a young man. His name is uh, John Aram, uh, John Aram uh, Judson. And uh, he was one of the uh, first missionaries, one of the first four missionaries that was sent from America, out of America. This was in the early 1800s. But uh, his, uh, his father, you know, his mother was a strong believer. His dad was a, uh, was a pastor. And um, at the age of three years old, his kid was brilliant. At the age of three years old, um, his mother had taught him to read. And his father had been out on a, you know, a kind of a preaching, you know, kind of a, uh, he was a, like a circuit rider, preacher. And uh, after being gone for about a month, his uh, father came home and this three-year-old son uh, read his, read the dad a chapter out of the Bible. I mean, at three years old, he was able to read. When he was 12 years old, he was teaching an adult Sunday school class, get this, 
an adult Sunday school class. He's 12 years old. He's teaching out of the original language, and he's teaching the book of Revelations and astounding everyone that is coming close to him. Well, when he, uh, as he grew up, he was 19. When he was 19 years old, he gradu- graduated uh, from Providence uh, uh, College. And, uh, but while he was at college, he decided that there was something greater in life for him than being a pastor's kid or preaching. And uh, he just thought that that was just like on the lowest scale of things. And so uh, he became an avowed atheist, uh, renounced his faith, and uh, hooked up with other atheists uh, in the school. Uh, he he uh, had this just incredible imagination. Uh, he thought that he was going to be like Homer. Uh, he thought that he would be like Alexander the Great. Um, but uh, Judson, this is his last name, um, man, he was just an ambitious young man. He, after college, he, uh, well, while he was in college, he hooked up with a uh, a man by the name of Jacob Ames, and Ames was another avowed atheist, and between the two of them, they took on all of the Christian college kids there, and, and I mean, they just leveled them. I mean, there was no chance that these Christians could stand up to their debate, and so um, they, then after college, they, they departed. They kind of fed on each other, uh, Ames and, and Judson, and, you know, just like built each other up in their atheistic uh, non-belief, and, uh, but they departed ways, and, um, you know, Judson, I think, uh, caused Ames to be even more of an atheist than he was when he showed up in college, but uh, Judson hooked up with this traveling group of uh, musicians traveling all over the place and just living the wild life, living the wild and crazy life, and uh, he had played with a group of guys, and on his way, he decided that he wanted to just kind of travel the land on horseback, and uh, just exhausted from a ride one day, he pulls into this little inn, and he goes into the innkeeper, and the innkeeper says, look, you know, uh, we're sold out. I don't have a, I don't have a room for you. And uh, Judson said, man, I, I'll sleep on the floor. He said, I'm exhausted. I just need a, a dry place to sleep. And and the guy says, uh, well, I do have, I've got one room, he says, but I didn't want to put anybody the guy that's next door is very sick and he's moaning and, you know, crying out. And, and honestly, he says, I'm not sure the guy's going to make it through the night. Judson's like, man, you know, I'm so tired. I'll take that room. And so he goes in the room and walls are like paper thin. And he hears this guy just moaning and groaning and groaning and these death moans, you know, all night long. And, and about uh, two or three in the morning, the, uh, the moaning stops and he's able to get a little bit of sleep. And and the next morning when he's checking out, um, you know, he asked the innkeeper, he says, uh, you know, I guess the guy got better. You know, I heard him stop moaning in the night. And he said, no, he didn't get better. He died in the night. And he's like, my gosh, you know, that's terrible. He says, who was he? And he said, uh, he was some kid from Princeton College. His name was Jacob Ames. And Judson just absolutely just freaks out. You know, this is his debating atheist partner. And he's riding away from that place thinking, I contributed to this man's unbelief. And he said that with every footbeat of the horse, this clip-clop, clip-clop, but instead of clip-clop, he heard death and hell, death and hell, death and hell, and realized that he was responsible for this man's soul. 
And so he immediately goes home and asks his parents, you know, to help him find a real faith that would lead to eternal life and forgiveness of sins. And he got, the kid got radically saved. And when he was about 23 or 24 years old, he decided that he wanted to devote his life as a missionary. And uh, he had prayed about it, and he decided that he wanted to go to uh, India, actually wanted to go to, to Burma. And um, he had fallen in love with a girl, um, and he uh, wanted to ask her father um, if he could marry his daughter. And this is the letter, I think I've got it on our overhead, you can follow me with it. Um, this is, I think in the fall, he was going to go to Burma at, shortly after the wedding. And so he writes this letter, and I'm reading this letter thinking about you know, my talking to Nina's dad about marrying her, and he says, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world, and whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of wanton distress, to degradation, insults, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God, can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall resound to her Savior from heathen save through her means from eternal woe and despair? Wow. Her father responded, he said, I'll let her decide. <laughs> so during that time period, uh, Anne is her name, and uh, Anne writes to a friend of hers during this waiting period before the, the marriage, but she says, uh, she's writing to her friend Lydia, and she says, I feel willing and expect if nothing in providence prevents to spend my days in this world in heathen lands, yes, Lydia, I have about come to the determination to give up all my comforts and enjoyments here and sacrifice my affections to relatives and to friends and to go where God and his providence shall see fit to place me. Wow. You know, and I'm just thinking about it. I'm reading that and thinking, man, I am such a wimp. Honestly, man, I'm thinking about my life so pales in comparison to the devotion and dedication of this man and this woman. Well, his letter was very prophetic because when he gets to India, uh, India is in somewhat of a civil war and everyone is suspect as being spies and he was... Uh, thought to be a spy. He was thrown into prison. He was thrown into jail. And for 18 months, he was in jail. Uh, 
the jailer would tie his feet together at night and lift him up so that he would only be able to rest on his head and his shoulders. Uh, sometimes daytime temperatures were 110 degrees and uh, mosquitoes were uh, eating him alive. And uh, during this 18-month period, um, well, he was early in the 18-month period, he was notified that his wife and he were, she was pregnant with their child, and uh, she gave birth while he was in prison, but because of his treatment, uh, he had lost, you know, much weight. He had uh, shriveled up. His eyes were sunken in, and um, Anne delivers the child, and uh, shortly after, Anne becomes sick. She becomes withered as well. Uh, her milk dries up, and the jailer, having mercy upon Judson, would release him at night and let him go to other villages uh, to nursing mothers and beg for them to feed his daughter, Maria. Um, he was finally released, and a few months later, I think about six months later, um, their child, die, or Anne dies, and six months later, the child dies. Um, so I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking... God, you know, what dedication to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me just jump into Hebrews for a moment. He says, by faith, when, Hebrews 11, by the way, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, uh, refused to be called. That, we know that he was 40 years old at that time when he was grown up speaking because uh, he left Pharaoh's court when he was about 40 years old. He spent... 40 years with Pharaoh, 40 years in the wilderness, and then another 40 years in leading the children of Israel to the promised land. But it says that by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pressures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ a greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for a reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And then you know, the Hebrew writer jumps down and he says, And what more shall I say? Uh, I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, now listen to this, these are these individuals, and one thing that they all have in common, they gave it up. They gave it up, like... Uh, uh, Adoniram, Judson, they, they gave it up. They gave it up. It says that who through faith they conquered kingdoms. I want to tell you that there are kingdoms out here in this land that we live in that need to be conquered. There are kingdoms that need to be conquered. They administered justice and gained what was promised. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the, fur, uh, the fury of the flames. They escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received their dead back, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning or sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went in sheepskin and clothing, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and living in caves and holes. 
in the ground. And I, and I think about that, you know, listen, you know, I'm thinking that, God, the dedication of these people, and we get upset, you know, when we have to wait in traffic after leaving church when we're going to lunch, or if the air conditioning isn't work or we can't find the remote, we get upset. And I'm thinking about, God, you know, these are incredible men and women, and I believe that God wants all of us to be like that. You know, he wants you to be like that. He wants me to be like that. And I think when I compare my life to Adoram, Adoram Justin's life and his wife Anne, and I see how far I fall short. God, I, I, I just, I don't want this to be heavy for you this morning, but I just want us to get us, I want us to get a glimpse of, you know, maybe we can move forward just a little bit in our walk with Jesus. Three things that I want to point out about Moises. Yeah, amen. Come on, come on. Let's all go. We're all moving together, right? So three things I want to point out about Moses' life in this passage of Scripture. It says, by faith, Moses, when he grew up, he refused. He refused. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh. There are things in this world that you and I need to refuse. The Bible says don't love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eye, and the pride of life is not from the Father but is of the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whosoever does of the will of God will abide forever. There are certain things that we will do in this life that won't amount to anything. There are other things that we will do that will last for eternity. And Jesus, this is from Luke chapter 12. Jesus is giving this, he's sharing with the crowd. I think Luke 12:1 starts out that thousands of people you know, I think in our minds, we kind of vision that Jesus, oh, traveling around the countryside, got these little 12 ragtag guys, and uh, that's about it. But it says, Luke 12, 1 says, thousands of people, thousands of people were listening to Jesus. And he's teaching them the same thing that we're talking about. He's talking about the temporal things, the material things versus the eternal things. And he's having this discussion with the crowd. And he's talking about, you know, don't fear those that can kill the body, but fear him who can, you know, not only kill the body, but cast your soul into hell. And in the middle of this story, when he's talking about the temporal and the eternal, it says that someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It's like, whoo, and where have you been, kid? Have you been listening to this teaching? Have you been listening to this word? He says, tell my brother to and divide the, the inheritance with me. And probably what it was, the situation was, it was probably the older brother who was in charge of the estate. You know, the older brother, the firstborn, got the double portion. And somehow he's dragging his feet with releasing the money. And Jesus says, you know, uh, or he says to Jesus, tell my brother to divide this inheritance with me. And Jesus said, man, who appointed me a judge or an uh, arbitrator over you? But the bottom line is that, you know, we know that Jesus is a judge, right? We know that Jesus is going to judge all things. It says that God has committed all the judgment to him. It says, and he said to them, it just like he shifts from that guy 
to the crowd and to the disciples, and he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. He says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and I'll store my surplus of grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. You know, this, uh, let me just point out something right here. Uh, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Now listen to this. He starts talking to himself. When you start talking to yourself about the things that you have and your possessions, you know you're in trouble. Okay, but he, he, he mentions himself, me, my, I, nine times in two verses. Nine times in two verses. I will tear down my barns. I will store my, uh, my surplus. I will say to myself, I will say, you have laid up many years. Take life easy. And God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded of you. And then who will get those things that you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with those who, are, who store up things for themselves but are not rich toward God. See, there was nothing really wrong. There's nothing wrong with gain. There was nothing wrong with him making money. The problem was that it was all about him, and he left God completely out of the picture. It was all about him. Nothing about God. There was no room for God in his life. Um, former CEO of the Gillette Shaving Company, his name was Coleman Mockler. Uh, he was very active in his church, graduated from Harvard Business School. He rose up through the ranks of the corporation of the Gillette Corporation, and after being there for 16 years in the Gillette Corporation, he survived many hostile takeovers, and uh, he just became just, I mean, uh, an incredible CEO of the corporation, and um, his achievements and his, his success with the company were so amazing that Forbes magazine decided that he would be kind of like the man of the year, and they wanted to put his picture on the cover of Forbes, and so they contacted him and talked about his, you know, great success, and, you know, they had even sent him an artist rendering of what uh, his picture on the cover of Forbes looked like, and they had him... Uh, 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 Coleman, um, Mockler, on the top of a mountain in this kind of victory-type pose, holding a razor over his head. And so they uh, sent that to him, and he had the, uh, the copy before it went to print to have him, uh, him and he look at it, and he's showing it to his office and his staff. And I mean, you know, it was like, you know, they thought, everybody thought it was well-deserved. I mean, you've deserved it. You've taken this, this company uh, uh, to a, a corporation that was about to fail. You survived several hostile takeovers. Um, his uh, own, per his personal stock uh, and portfolio increased 50-fold uh, during this time. Uh, he was uh, just on the verge of retiring. I mean, he was just like the man of the year. And uh, he's showing the magazine to... Uh, the people in the office, his staff, and, you know, they were just applauding and accolades. And uh, he took the, the magazine, he walked into his office, he closed the door, he collapsed on the floor and fell dead of a heart attack. Wow. See, guys, life is fleeting. Uh, 
life is fleeting. And we need to, you and I, I don't know, I don't know, you know, how, how he was, what his relationship was with God. But I do know that life is temporal. And we cannot get hung up in this materialistic world or it will drag us down. You remember in the parable of the sower, there were four types of soils. But Jesus specifically speaks about one. And there's one that he's, there's one that you can do something with. There's one. There's one that is, you know, the, the first two types of soil, the seed is dead. But the third soil, the seed is alive and the plant is growing. This is the one that Jesus was concerned about. The plant was growing, but the things of this world, the, the, the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this life were squeezing the life and the ability for that plant to produce fruit. Guys, that's what you and I need to be concerned about. That's what I'm concerned about in my own personal life. Uh, we talked about how he refused, Moses refused, but then we see the second point is that he chose he chose, to be, uh, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. The psalmist says in 84, Psalm 84, 10, For a day in your court is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And then Joshua said, he says, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then you choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether it's the gods of your ancestors, the gods that they served beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in the land that you're living. But as for me, but as for me and my house, we choose. I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose to serve the Lord. I know that there's, all of these things are going to bombard me. The enemy is going to try to keep me from serving God. The enemy is going to try to blindside me and distract me and keep me from serving God. He's going to do the same thing to you. And then Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, he says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wives or children, I'm thinking about Donoram, Judson, and Ann, his wife, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wives or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And the point of this life, the point of this life is so that you and I can prepare for the next life. It's, there's a great rate. That's what Jesus says. There is a great rate on the return of your in investment. But you and I have to be intentional about it. It just won't fall into place. We have to be, be intentional about making decisions to follow the Lord. And Paul, uh, writing to Timothy, and Timothy had been in Ephesus, and Ephesus was a modern town. We read about it, we know about it from the book of Revelation, but they had indoor plumbing. They had uh, hot and cold water. They had all the comforts and conveniences that other cities didn't have. And uh, Paul's writing to them and uh, telling them about remembering, you know, remembering, re warn the rich in this world. I'll get to that scripture in just a moment. The third point that he says is that, number one, that uh, he refused. Number two, he chose. And number three, he considered. 
It says, he considered the reproach. Some of your translated translations would say, he, re- he considered the reproach of Christ, the being insulted for Christ, being abused and suffered for Christ, to suffer scorn for Christ. He valued the disgrace for Christ greater than the wealth and the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for a reward. He valued the disgrace, looking to Christ above the treasures of Egypt. The Bible says that whatever things were gained to me, Paul is saying this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, all those things that I considered gain to me. Guys, I mean, you know, we can, I mean, we can think about it, and I, I'm just as guilty as probably more than anybody in this room that the things that we consider gain, you know, it's just like, you know, we go through these stages in life, and I've been through them. You know, we want the vacation homes and the boats and the cars and, you know, the golf clubs and all. You know, I know I'm just stepping on toes right now. But, and there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with those things unless they become your God. Unless you become, you, you start spending more time with those things than you do reading God's word and prayer and seeking God's face and, and doing the will of God. And Paul says that whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted lost for the sake of Christ. He said, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Paul says, I've given it all up. Again, you know, I just, I've been thinking about that life and and Adoniram Judson and what he gave up and, and they left and, you know, they left and when they walked out of that house and seeing mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and, you know, there was no email, there was no telephone, there was no telegraph. You know, it's like when you're gone, you're gone. Knowing that they would never see each other again, never see each other again. And Paul is saying the same thing here. He says, I count all these things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so I may gain Christ Jesus. And then Jesus says, He's talking about, you know, counting the cost. For you and I to count the cost. He says, suppose there's a king who's about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciples. And then he says, this is what Paul was writing to Timothy, and he says, warn the rich people. Now, this is rich believers, okay? He says, warn them. This is the message for all of us. This is the message for, because, you know, compared to the people living in the day that Paul's writing this letter, I mean, every one of us is rich in this room compared to these people. But he said, warn the rich people of this world not to be proud or to trust in wealth that is easily lost. Tell them to have faith in God who is rich and blesses us with everything we need to enjoy life. Instruct them to do as many good deeds. Remember what the scripture says? Jesus told his disciples, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Instruct them to do as many good deeds as they can to help everyone. Remind the rich to be generous and share what they have. 
just like we're talking about this morning, Teresa, you know, got this idea of gathering, you know, uh, things that we don't need, treasures that we have in our house that are just kind of gathering rust and dust. These will lay aside, uh, this will lay aside a solid foundation for the future. They will know what, the tr what true life is like. And then Jesus said, don't store up for your, uh, store up treasures here on earth where moth and uh, eats them, rust destroys them, where thieves break in to steal them. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your heart is, your treasure is, and that, there the desire of your heart will be also. So, just wrapping this up. Donoram Judson, his wife, Anne. He loses three children, his wife. He marries again. He loses another seven children and a wife. Was it worth it? It said that in 18 or in 12 years, he only had 18 converts. Was it worth it? 18 converts after 12 years. He stayed in that country for about 40 some odd years. But when he died, he left 100 churches, 8,000 believers. There are two and a half million evangelical Christians in Burma today, and most of them can trace their roots back to Adoniram Judson. He translated, it took him 24 years to translate the Bible in the Burmese language. Was it worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And his wife said that for the glory of God, for the glory of God, for the salvation of these lost sinners, it was worth it. Now, you and I, you know, I mean, I, we read this story, guys, and we kind of feel sorry for him and for his wife. You know what? If she was here today, she'd feel sorry for you. She'd feel sorry for me. Eight thousand believers, one hundred churches, and today two and a half million Christians. John Ortberg wrote a book, and in this book, he's talking about life, and he and he speaks about. Life in a box. And he talks about comparing our life today to the board games that you used to play when you were a kid. Checkers or Monopoly or some of those board games. And he said that, you know, you can be the worst, world's best checker player or chess player or Monopoly player. But when it's all done, it all goes back in a box. It all goes back in a box. Guys, I want to just tell you that the things that we don't do for Jesus, it just all goes back in a box. All the winnings, all the championships, 
I could be the greatest chess player, the greatest checker player. I can have all the money and monopoly. But when I'm done, it just all goes back in a box. And then he adds these two words. Then what? Then what? Then what? You think about all the things that you're trying to achieve right now, I'm trying to achieve, and once we get there, then what? Are we making a dent in the eternal? Are we just whittling away at the material and the temporal? Guys, I, you know, I don't want to be a material, temporal builder. I want to be a builder in the eternal. And I know you do too. So would you stand with me? I want to pray. I want to pray for us. Because I feel like I need prayer, and I'm betting you need prayer too. Amen? Can anybody identify with this message this morning, or is it just, am I just preaching to myself? All right. So, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, God, we ask that you would forgive us our sins. God, forgive us where we have got off track. God, that the straight and narrow has become the, the wide and broad way that leads to destruction. God, we ask that you would pinch the road. Get us back on the straight and narrow. Father, forgive us our sins, our iniquities, our trespasses. Forgive us for focusing on the temporal, Lord, the material. God, give us a heart and a passion for the eternal. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. There's somebody in here that has never received Jesus before in your life. You can do that today. You can just say, Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that your son Jesus died for my sins. I'm asking you to come into my life, break the power of sin in my life, break the power of darkness in my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the strength to live a life that brings honor and glory to your name. Help me to live a life that's worthy of the call. God, we just acknowledge that we are your servants as we go out. Take us like that vessel of oil, that that like that pot of water, pour us out on a dry and thirsty land, Father. There are many that are hurting, lost and wounded and dying today that you will have our paths crossed. Lord, let us be a refreshing breath of heaven to them. We ask this in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen, amen. Let's lift up a shout of praise to our God. Amen, hallelujah. God bless you guys, we love you. Stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. Never stop, you never stop. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. Never stop working.